You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to NSBS Radio Hour today. Glad to have you with us, as always. We hope you are consistent listeners, nonetheless. But uh, we're, we're proud today to have with us James Cavanaugh, who is with what we all call Rick's. Some people don't know what Rick's is, James, but uh, but we hear the hear the name pretty often. And uh, in my dealings with more of the international group over the last few years, have actually gained a, a broader perspective on what the organization does as well. So, welcome yeah. to the show. That's great. Thanks, Curtis. And you are what five hours from me? Five hours ahead. Yeah. So you're you're getting ready to go home for the day. Wow, not not near, nearly, nearly <laughs> not quite though. Although I have to admit the way, the weather is uh, is pretty horrible over here today in London. It's been raining all day. Yeah, we've had crazy weather too. I was in the mountains in southwestern Virginia this weekend visiting my son and his family. I got up Saturday morning, and there was probably an inch and a half, two inches of snow on the ground. That's which was crazy a little this time of year. A little strange, but it is March after all, so. <laughs> Uh, we we tend to want to rush into the seasons, I guess, but uh, should be well into spring by now. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And you were just here last week, right? I was. I was just there last week. RICS Americas uh, had a conference, which was a bit of a follow-on from Aaron from the World Bank conference. It was just when I at the end of that I popped up to see your guys, your national uh, meeting, right in uh, in Crystal City with them. It was in Crystal City, yes. Crystal City, that's right, just outside Washington, which was great. It was a real insight for me. I thought it was very, very impressive, particularly to see all the different states there represented. Yeah, we, our our, uh, our governance model, um, I won't say it's changed dramatically other than the fact that our state representatives now each have a vote in the final action. When yeah. NSPS was formed back in 1980, it was set up to be a representative body, but the the final board that made the final decisions was actually the officers and regional directors. We had ten regions throughout the country and included uh-huh. the territories. And all of the state representatives who came were what we called our board of governors, who were really an advisory group. Yeah. And one of the reasons for that was, at the time, the membership of NSPS in any given state might only be a handful of people. And so what changed, of course, is when we went to the joint membership program where the state societies commit 100% of their members to being NSPS members. And at that point, it made sense for each of their representatives to actually vote on final action of NSPS. So that's that's the way we operate now, and it and I think it works well. Um, we we've basically eliminated a, a day's worth of discussion. Oh yeah, uh, no no bad thing. And so that there's nothing wrong with that, I suppose. <laughs> Although you want to give everything as much time as it needs, but uh, at least you there wasn't any reason for the same people to vote as advisors to tell themselves how to vote the next day. So. And what was amazing for me as well is just to see that, you know, many of the issues that you guys are dealing with, even on a, on a state-by-state basis, are very similar, if not exactly the same, as the issues that we land over here. 
in the UK and in Ireland and in the majority of Europe and actually across the world are dealing with, you know. Uh, an advancing age profile, the lack of young people coming in through our courses, the, the perceived threats from new technologies, such as, such as drones. We had a long discussion about that at uh, your lunch area. But also, you know, that new technologies such as uh, advanced laser scanning and LIDAR operations. GNSS, but I suppose it's always been like that, really, in our profession. Yeah, I think so. Those same issues are, are prevalent, it seems, wherever you go, maybe in a little bit different way sometimes. And, of course, I, one of the issues that um, I'm sure you see, and, and we probably should talk more about your background and some of the things you've been involved in, because you had a lot of exposure to different systems uh, everywhere, it seems, because you've done so many things. But we tend to think about our own situations and how our land systems work and of course they work differently in different countries but I guess maybe the the basic issues surveyors have don't change from place to place, it's just the system that changes. That's right, you know and this, this reminds me of a conversation I had with a couple of African surveyors actually, where we were talking with the GIS gang as usual about you know this fit for purpose issue around how to map countries really quickly to start a land market and a, you know a fit for purpose cadastral system in a way similar to what we do here in the UK to the general boundary system and uh, and we were trying to explain onto these other the, these other the, the more data the geographical systems people about how, how in many cases it's not just a case of going out and capturing this detail from a land surveyor's point of view there's all the other additional bits and pieces and then of course the liability that you take on by providing this information either from a legal kind of sense or from an engineering sense and that's what we're paid for is you know the liability that we take on rather than the actual data capture process itself. Yeah, I think that's true, and I sometimes I think that maybe doesn't come home to some practitioners as readily as it as it should, perhaps, to think about what that liability is. I, and and maybe that changes as your whole structure and how people get into the profession changes over time, and and has a stronger educational component before you get in. But oftentimes, people, and, and certainly in my generation of surveyors who who came along probably the, the well certainly the majority had very little formal edu- well formal education past high school you know lots of experience but the whole idea the concept of business and the liabilities in, incurred i don't think we're nearly as we're uppermost in their mind necessarily because they're thinking about the technical side of everything they really weren't taking mm. thinking about the other side oh yeah we love that we love gadgets <laughs> i think all landscapes across the world love something on a stick that goes beep yeah, that's and, for uh, sure. And, uh, you know, th- th- like uh, my background, I'm th- just to, for the audience, I'm, I'm a Dubliner by background. I'm from Ireland. So I did survey training uh, at the university level in Ireland, then came to the UK, worked in large civil engineering projects, as many of us do, engineering, surveying, you know, particularly on high-rise steel. Actually, with many American surveyors doing that and uh, operators as well, because you had all the, the high-rise uh, structural steel experience from the States that was exported to the UK and Europe in the 80s, and I liked steel work anyway because it was clean compared to con- concrete. And then I, I ended up then after a, couple, a few years of doing that in the Middle East where I worked for the United Nations, uh, and that's where I started to become more involved in the land processes, the, the formalization and the land conflicts. And like many of your surveyors in the States deal with, you know, encroachment issues, rights of access issues, and getting involved in that kind of societal 
business, where you can see where you know, survey and people interact. And then I came back to, back to the UK after meeting my wife out there and went back to university for post-grad and, and here I am in the RICS for the last number of years. I deal with the land areas in here. I'm a land suburban background. RICS is a, multi, is a, is a global uh, organization based in the UK. But, you know, if you think about our structure, it's fundamentally based on history. So we're, we're strongest in many of those parts of the world that are known as the Commonwealth. So Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Kenya, Ghana, the Caribbean, for instance, where many of the uh, the, the colonial, if you want to call them that, or even post-colonial land systems still incorporate elements of reference to chartered surveyors and their ability to act almost like a license. So what we've been trying to do, what I've been really trying to do, is, is, is farm up those technical issues that land surveyors deal with. So we do a lot of guidance, particularly on specifications and what you can expect from a 1-2500 survey, for instance, and a table of, uh, of accuracies, but also try and encourage people to become more involved in those softer skill sets, like we just mentioned, Curtis. And that's what we see many of our members becoming much more interested in. So those issues of dispute resolution and mediation and expert witness work, because the technical data capture work compared to when I'm sure we all first started, you know, I can still remember when President Clinton turned off selective availability and GPS became widely available for land survey work. And, uh, and the advent of these technologies is making that basic data capture process a lot easier. So it's that added value in the things that we're really seeing an increase in interest. Do you see, um, you mentioned mediation and, and expert witness, and, and it's in, and in the U.S., I think pretty much all surveyors are familiar with the concept, at least, of expert yeah. witnessing. Yeah. I'm not sure how many actually do it, but certainly the concept is familiar. One of the things that we're having discussions about here now, and there's a, a particular group of people that I've been fortunate to be speaking with for the last couple of years, is this whole idea of mediation. And it raises a big question uh, among our practitioners in terms of their their um, being unattached to a situation, for example. So the question being then, X person hired me to survey something. Yeah. And so if I were to then become a mediator in the process uh, related to that project, is that a conflict of interest for me? And that's the kind of questions that you get. Um, I don't know, and some people think surveyors shouldn't even be in mediation, but I've always thought our job was to try to help people solve their problems, not necessarily. Oh yeah, just give them yeah, much yeah. I, I, I think if you look back through the history of land survey, that that's primarily you know the areas of interest being involved in the technical elements, really where you know uh, the idea of mediating between landowners or between people over land disputes or the parsing out of land or land taxa- taxation as part of our history. I've, I've often felt we've only really been sidelined by the technology over the last 50, 60 years or so. And uh, what we notice, in the, uh, certainly in the UK and in many other countries, say, for example, in Sweden, the land surveyors in Sweden act in a paralegal capacity. So they, they, on the ground, they will mediate between two parties, solve the dispute, uh, put the boundary down and say, that's it. And they have, the, they have the legal weight to be able to do that. They're kind of very heavily trained in law. In the UK... We, uh, we have a general boundary system, but we fix boundaries during the dispute resolution process. So, you know, we have a cadastro with a small c, really. But on, the, on what you were saying, we get that, com- not complaints, but that issue all the time where if you're uh, 
contracted by somebody as a as an expert witness or in the case here a single joint expert witness who so is meant to be acting to solve the project in conjunction with your professional capacity and knowledge rather than on behalf of one side or the other so in the court you're expected to give you know the uh, the technical and legal not legal really uh, issues at hand rather than trying to find on behalf of one side or the other the problem of course is in practice whoever's paying you thinks that they they have you you need to be coming out on you know <laughs> what they want you to say which and is precisely useful and i think that's part of the issue that that a lot of practitioners here have is well, I'm working for that guy, and so yeah. how are they going to... But I think, and we're only 30 seconds from our first break, and we pick this up when we come back, but mm-hmm. that whole concept you were talking about in Sweden where may, maybe our structure should be one in which when we get hired, the people don't hire us thinking we're their advocate. Mm-hmm. You're not their severe. You're a, you're an expert dealing with yeah. that dispute. Well, let's, let's go to our first break here. We'll come back and okay. pick up on that. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800 Four three eight zero three eight seven, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q U I K S T A K E dot com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Before we went to break, we were talking about services of surveyors. Before we get back into that, though, you said something earlier that, that uh, reminded me of, of something in terms of, you were talking about the chartered surveyors. Mm. We Virginians like to think that we have the first surveyor who actually did surveying work in the colonies. Mm. Not necessarily in Florida, because that was a whole different group of people. 
mm-hmm. but in the colonies because we, our Virginia Society years ago put together a book on, it's called Surveyors and Statesmen, a bit of a history about surveying in the, in the state. And one of the things in it talks about Captain John Smith surveying parcels up to James River in about 1607 or 1606 or something like that. So we we Is this the John Smith? The John Smith, yes. Yeah. And it list, it, the, what caught my mind was it listed him as a chartered surveyor. Oh. Uh, and so uh, I guess uh, Ricks might not have existed back then, but chartered surveyors apparently did. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like uh, people often say it's the second oldest profession in the world. Yeah, that's true. So, but I just think that's pretty pretty cool to to have some history on uh, on what we believe at least is some at least probably the first, for lack of a better term, subdivision work in yeah. the colony. And uh, but you know you were talking about we we're talking about the whole uh, paralegal and and uh, advocate mm-hmm. discrepancy, so to speak. Um, and is there do you guys have any kind of a I don't know, systems probably not the right word, but procedures or practices that talks about that because we I don't see that anywhere in any of our laws. You know, it doesn't say that the surveyor is to take on this role, although it's implied, but it's not necessarily stated anywhere. So I, I don't. Do you guys have anything like that, or is it just inherent in? Well, we do. We do. So the, the the way that the legal system will work is that you know that something will go on statutes like the Land Registration Act of uh, 2002, which is the most important one over here for uh, for the UK for for surveyors for instance who are dealing in, in boundaries and land registration issues but what we will do is then there's other types of acts that interact with that so consumer rights protection uh, rules of practice within court advocacy rules so we will take them as an organization and distill them into guidance for our members on how to act as an expert witness for instance so you must do this so everything from the procedures and how to put a case file together to how to act in court, you know, how to adjust the judge, tips of the trade, like, you know, uh, don't bring in a fancy calculator, you know, try and put it into language that legal people will, will have a, a, an immediate understanding of. You'd ha- use hard copy, blow maps up, don't get into the, don't start explaining least squares adjustments <laughs> to <Yeah>. judges. <laughs> solicitors and all those kind of issues you know basically give the court what it wants to hear which is this impartial independent professional judgment on a specific case does that and come then, does that come as a a servant of the court so to speak um mm-hmm. and, I, and i understand the reason i'm asking that question is oftentimes you get into those kind of situations and the attorney on one side or the other particularly if you had surveyed for his mm-hmm. opponent um will oftentimes try to get into those technical areas to somehow undermine yeah. the the underlying issue. I don't know if you guys yeah. run into that or not. But. Oh, yeah. No, that's 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 one of the most dangerous things. I think it, it takes a special amount of training and a specific type of personality to be able to deal with that toing and froing in an adversarial court situation. And again, English common law and the legal system is quite, well, very similar to the American system compared to, say, the uh, continental European system, where things are quite laid down about what you can and cannot do. So we, we try and prepare our people right across the board to not only make sure that you're technically competent to take on the case, and you're right, you will be instructed by the solicitor initially uh, dealing with the case, but in a single giant expert scenario, this was a 
a change we came to over here, rather than having two experts arguing with each other over minutiae, is to try and have one who would be able to deal and try and come to some kind of conclusion. Also, within the court system here, if the two opposing parties haven't been through a mediation process, it won't get the court. Oh, so they're required to start with mediation. Absolutely. The judge will not hear it. Why haven't you been to mediation? Why haven't you tried to sort this out before coming in front of me? That, is, uh, that's, an, that's a really good, uh, uh, good process, I think. Well, this is the problem we have. There's a, there's a, you know, there's a certain kind of, you know, specific type of people who went into it. Land disputes can happen to anybody, but so usually when they do, they can be incredibly expensive, uh, incredibly uh, divisive on communities between neighbours, cause an enormous amount of stress. We get them in the newspapers all the time, and it doesn't matter whether you have a German-style measured cadastral system or a general boundary system, same as the UK. People will, will generally fight over those kind of issues. So what we're trying to do, certainly here in the UK, and there's even some new legislation we're trying to work on within boundaries uh, issues, and but in the context of this dispute resolution mechanism, because we want to keep it's clogging up our court system, particularly our county court system, and the, and the legal profession generally don't really like dealing with them. Yeah, certainly not. And I had a, a thought you were talking about providing guidance to your members, considering the fact that. Rick's, uh, I hate to use the acronym, but I will, uh, has members almost everywhere. I assume that creates a bit of a challenge to to be able to provide that guidance to all members because there's bound to be differences in culture oh, yeah. and all that. So we'll kind of look at it maybe the, the more in-depth expert witness uh, dispute resolution media mediation training, saying on a UK basis first because <clears throat> because the majority of the members are here and they're working in those systems. But then we'll also look at it and say having a very high-level, broad principles-based type system like the ethical standards that I know you guys in NSPS have fed into, or the IPMS standard or the land one that we're uh, we're about to start working on. Right. So we can yeah. have a very high-level principle-based system. I think the key to get across, and it's something we've worked on internally, is to make sure that people know we cannot circumvent people's national or state licensing systems. Sure. That's your primary process. That's the primary uh, legal environment you work within. But if there's something that can enable that to become, you know, engaged with... We're all in the global society. People are buying and selling property and being involved in it right across the world. So there's certain kind of principles that people can adhere to globally. All well and good. But even so, you know, if you're in Sweden, you will have to adhere to Swedish law. In Germany, same time, type of thing. It's state by state, same in Australia, same with you guys in America. Yeah, that's one of the things I think is, is really good about those two, the, the ethics effort as well as the property man, uh, measurement effort, because it isn't about that's, – that's one of the things I, I – I struggle is not the right word, but, but I have to be sure I talk to people about here when I talk about an international – property measurement standard, for example, or even ethics for that for that matter, and explain it's more about what than how. That's right. Of, instead yeah. of measurement. And That's because right. as you said, different places have different specifics in terms of the of the how. That's what you will need to do, you know, to uh, as you know to work in Virginia you'll need your Virginian state uh, professional land surveying license. That's the end of it. If you want to work outside of there or work in other countries we'll then have an internationally uh, recognized qualification may be to your advantage. You know, one of the things that hadn't really dawned on me and for my sheltered existence, I suppose, but when first started talking with the people about the property measurement standards was mm. I, it, 
just didn't occur to me different ways people would do things and how confusing that would be. And, and I know a lot of this comes from what you mentioned earlier with all the international trade that's going on and international practice that's going on now. But it's been really interesting to learn more about how that actually works. It is, and I think that the, the key thing about that is, as well, same with the, the property measurement thing, is that I, I agree, I'm the same as you, you, it's quite astonishing sometimes that, that some people include car parking spaces, some don't. Like you say, it's not about the actual physical spatial measurement, it's about what's included. And to tell you the truth, it's us measurement specialists, with, particularly with a land survey or geospatial, if you want to call it that, you know, we're the ones who are going to do well out of this because at least you can get one part of that valuation equation correct, and that's the measurement process. The rest of it is still very caught up in, in market value, but, you know, we've tried to tie it into how the valuation profession thinks about valuation. They think the same as us, the same types of standard deviations and criteria around accuracy, and we can apply our measurement, uh, measurement skill sets to that. It's kind of like anything else. Uh, I, I have to assume that one of the reasons this whole effort came along was the difficulties people were having in communicating with each other about what it is I'm actually getting or what I'm presenting. Well, absolutely. And the same when we come on to the land one, you know, about the land reporting or land measurement. From a word that we all know within the geospatial or the spatial data world, it's all about interoperability. And these systems are not speaking to each other. And when you talk about huge amounts of money being transferred globally or within the commercial real estate business or even within residential and the effects it has on our economy, if there's one part that we can get right to enable that to happen, well, then we as a profession need to do it. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. In, in your experiences in the, the various countries, aside from the professional side um, and even just the you know, land ownership side, the societal changes, uh, challenges must be pretty significant as well in terms of just the overall perspectives of the of the populace and how the governments work and that kind of thing. Yeah, and I think like a, we, I think when we, we spoke when we were over there, like we have a capacity issue, young people coming into universities, but we have there's a huge capacity issue of people who are already qualified. When you, like one of the issues that's been interesting us around the world is not. <coughs> excuse me, just the smart cities end of things, but the, the effects of rapid urbanization. As people in many parts of the country, of, of the world, you know, move into urban areas and those urban centers expand at a rate that is just unbelievable, you know, 25%, for instance, in Dar es Salaam and Tanzania. These systems can barely cope. I think there's two, three hundred land surveyors in the whole country in Tanzania. Wow. So just to be, yeah, exactly. In a country like the size of Ghana, which is the size of France, there's about 800 land surveyors. So you you can imagine the type of the type of bottleneck issues that are starting to tie in there because it's a very necessary profession, very necessary for, you know, we work differently all over the world. I think that in some countries, land surveyors do things that other land surveyors in other countries will go, what they really do that, such as planning or land valuation, for instance. But within that urban urban context of, of securing people's rights or even just down to dealing with development issues and dealing with infrastructure issues, dealing with the engineering bits and pieces or, or land taxation or encroachment and all the other disputes that come with it, is there's a massive, enormous capacity issue that we as a profession need to deal with. The main issue, Curtis, is when we speak to the World Bank and people like that, at, at the moment people... They very much see land surveyors as almost being part of the problem, and we want to make sure through these international standards, 
type coalitions that we're trying to build along with you guys and NSPS and many other bodies that allow Severus to become part of the solution. You know, that, that part of it, I'm, I'm certainly all of our listeners will be able to associate with when you said people see surveyors as part of the problem. because <laughs> we, I wasn't sure I think, how you were going to take that. I think we all suffer from that uh, that situation in our mind, whether we're delusional or not about it, I'm not sure, but but it certainly seems to be that more and more even. And when we come back from the break, we've got to go to break. We'll talk about that a little bit. So let's go to our okay. second break. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Seanstead products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.seanstead.com. Seanstead, the best just got better. Quick Stakes is your answer to staking. Lightweight, easy to ride on, easy to use, easy to find, and won't break your back carrying them like the old-fashioned wooden stakes. Have you tried a sample? If not, get a pen and paper and write down this number, 800-438-0387, or go to quickstake.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-T-A-K-E.com, and order your samples. Ask your surveying supply dealer for quickstakes today. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.schonstedt.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. When we went to break, James, we were talking about the surveying being a necessary profession and mm. and also being perceived sometimes as as part of the problem. And, and uh, when we went on break, you were you said you were interested in how I would think about that, but. Clearly, it's an uppermost in the minds, I think, of, of people in our profession that they get deemed to be part of the profession. But having said that, sometimes maybe we earn that a little bit because, because we're not as, as much part of the solution as we should be. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's an issue for um, a lot of us. But it is out there, and, and we're seeing a lot of challenges. Um, as a matter of fact, I got an email this weekend from uh, the president of our Arizona group. And uh, like a, n- a number of states, they've been dealing with legislatures who are looking to downsize their 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 supervisory or, or professional boards and those kind of things. Yeah. And and oftentimes there's discussion about, you know, which which jobs should be licensed. And part of that comes because so many different things have been licensed now throughout the country 
you know, every almost everything you can think of, they're trying to, to license these days. And originally it was a moneymaker for the state. I get to get people licensed. But now they're looking at it from the perspective of, well, do we really need this? Is it cumbersome? Is it worth the money we're spending to have a board to regulate this particular job? And, yeah. And surveying has begun to be included in that discussion in some cases. Yeah. And, and in that particular case, it's probably gone further than anywhere else toward deregulation. Uh, and it's a big it's a big concern and a big challenge. But the, the, and the, no different from what's happened in many other parts of the world on a deregulation process. Like I think, and the, with the the attendant fears to the profession around it, like New Zealand is a great example of that. New Zealand uh, deregulated its licensing system a number of years ago, and, and generally from the the, the, the New Zealand surveyors, who are very good uh, land surveyors, you know, working within a very kind of a controlled, defined cadastral system, uh, there was there was cries that this would undermine the profession, it would undermine professionalism, you'd have every uh, Tom, Dick and Harry trying to have a go at doing it, etc. And uh, But that that's not what the actual result has been. And speaking to the, uh, the New Zealand surveyors post this, and I'll see some of them at FIG, quite soon, they've actually noticed their work go up because they've, they've been able to span into other areas of practice that they weren't particularly taking note of. The, the same thing is happening in Germany, a deregulation of the cadastral system there. And if you speak to many German uh, surveyors, they, they will say that the cadastral work, the boundary work is probably, uh, the property transfer is probably 10% of what they're doing on a, on a weekly basis because of the liability attached to it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think Many, many countries are looking at a deregulation process. Maybe that's worth some research um, on our end to bring forward to our people who are concerned about it, as as you would expect them to be, not knowing what's going to happen. But maybe there's some experiences out there we could draw from to at oh, least yeah. see how things have occurred and and how they were dealt with after the fact. Um, and I don't know... Are there places where, of course, here, regulation for the professions primarily is through some level of government, typically through the state? Yeah. We don't necessarily have licensing um, that's within a professional organization. I don't know if other countries do that or not. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think this is, this is probably, I think you could, you could view it as either being a threat or view it as being an opportunity. South Africa has just been through the same process as well. <coughs> through its Plato uh, system where they deregulated the licensing board, you know, the national board that would license all the different uh, states and the land surveyors within it. And I think this is where an opportunity comes in for the national body, in this case NSPS, to uh, uh, to potentially step in there and take a lot of that role on. RICS, for instance, we've never had a, re- a government regulatory process here in the UK. So the RICS is, is self, we self-regulate. So as long as we can make sure that we're providing the right advice to our members, like the expert witness stuff or, or like the measured surveys information or boundaries guidance, that government and and the public is confident that we can regulate appropriately with all the disciplinary bits and pieces in as well, you know, being able to take ultimate sanction and, and remove people from membership if they've been, you know, completely sure. doing the wrong thing for a long time. Well, then government is confident in you, in you regulating, or in this case, the state would be confident maybe in that Arizona branch being able to self-regulate. And that, that works quite well. If anything, that, that's, a re- that's actually, I would advocate that, well, definitely from the RICS in the UK and Irish perspective, of being a very empower, empowering uh, 
process philanthropists. I know that the New Zealanders and the South Africans have certainly found it that way. The, my German colleagues, though, would probably say something similar maybe to what you guys in Arizona are saying, that they're actually quite scared about the, the coming process and what, the effects it could have on the profession. Yeah, and I, I think the concerns are, are the perceived legitimacy, obviously, yeah. um, and then uh, finding a way to um, regulate the practice to make sure that, that people are still upholding standards. Um, yeah. But, you, you know, you look at it from a society perspective, it's, it's a much bigger scale thing, but on a similar thing to some of the things we already do. And we have certification programs, for example, mm. in hydrography. Um, and we have one for survey technicians. And so perhaps if this went that way, there would be a way to work um, nationally with our state groups to to look into that. Because, it would, like you said, it would be difficult to have one uniform licensing framework here because we have different land systems and all that kind of thing. Uh, but it, it might present an opportunity where the profession could... Um, as you said, become self-regulating and still provide that protection to the public that we are all interested in. I mean, that's the thing that that's why we're licensed to begin with. Uh, is well, that's right. You know, if you look at the New Zealand, for example, for instance, why would anybody going through a due diligence procedure of transferring land not use a, a qualified surveyor with the, you know, who's a, a, who's regulated by the New Zealand Institution of Surveyors? Right. Whether yeah. whether does a state licensing board or not. It would it would be absolutely too much of a risk within that process, and I think absolutely. that that's also it's not just a self-regulatory uh, issue then to deal with. You know, it's also then a marketing and a public awareness campaign issue and a business campaign issue. Absolutely. Well, that that's some good good uh, discussion to have. I'll uh, after we're finished here I'll, I've made myself some notes I'll reach out and maybe uh, get some oh, yeah. contacts yeah. where I can talk to some folks who've done something like that not that we're necessarily proposing it right off the bat but it, we should at least have it in the back of our mind as this whole deregulation from the state perspective seems to be taking getting some legs like I said so far that's not actually ever happened anywhere for, for surveying yet but there's still the concern on people's minds and and, and honestly, one of the things that, that we have concern about here in the country is an, an age-old situation for us is that our licensing structures have not been tied to formal education as much as they are now, and in some states still not tied to formal education. And um, I know the person in Arizona who sent me information about it was telling me that you know he's concerned that that could be an issue there because the architects, engineers, all those folks are required to have degrees um, yeah. and so they seem to be more if, if protected is the right terminology so again it's just another challenge for us not an over overwhelming one we couldn't overcome i don't think but it certainly could pre- pre- present a challenge that's right and i think deregulation it's coming across europe as well so many countries are very 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 interested in it right across the board because many of these systems are you know almost victorian in concept and can't work within a, a, certainly within a property a modern property market. <laughs> so I, I would and definitely advocate kind of looking into the, the you know the, the the pros and cons of a deregulation process. But it's back to what we were talking about, Curtis, about being part of the solution. You know, if the if the the regulatory authorities see uh, land surveyors as uh, as trying to hold this kind of regulation up, which has happened in some countries like Ghana or Nigeria, 
we become then part of the, the issue itself. Mm-hmm. Where if you're, if you're providing solutions for them and say, well, we, we're confident that we could regulate this ourselves, that will then give them the confidence to be able to put it into your hands. True. Yeah, very true. Certainly things for us to think about and understanding, of course, we're not alone. We always tend to think we're the only people in the world who have issues. So. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's maybe true uh, everywhere. People think think locally more so than they do beyond their own their own gates, so to speak. Yeah, and I think those it was, it was certainly been the land survey business, really. This is, this is a truly global profession. There's not much difference between what you're doing on a daily basis and what a land surveyor in Argentina is doing or one in New Zealand or one in Russia. Yeah, we all have those same basic underlying principles about what we do, that's for sure, and, and our systems that we deal with may be a little bit different, but, I mean, we can see that between our states, actually, or among our states, and certainly when yeah. we talk to our friends up in Canada, it's, they have different procedures as well, but the underlying principle and the underlying um, premise on which we exist, I think you're right. I think that doesn't really change from place to place. No, that's right. And the way we're trying to count the language we're using is that land surveyors, professional land surveyors, chartered land surveyors, for instance, provide an insurance policy for your project, your work, your land transfer, etc. Rather than talking about the technologies or the accuracies, talk about those you know, the, the issues of risk, the inherent uh, issues uh, of, of risk within transfer and due diligence and how we're a necessary part of that process. So getting it done cheap, if you're prepared to take that risk on, that potential liability will then go ahead. But I know you're going to be coming and knocking on air door looking for somebody qualified to do it probably within a couple of months of that going wrong. Yeah, that you know, that liability issue is one that we, we deal with a lot in terms of um, – helping our folks understand the whole risk management process. Ah, yes. And because oftentimes people tend to think, well, if if I go buy my risk management insurance, then certainly someone is going to sue me, and if I don't have it, maybe they won't, which I think is kind of a crazy idea. But nonetheless, it, it is, it's another one of those challenges within the profession of uh, getting people to understand why risk management is so important. Well, it is. I mean, we deal with risk. I don't know. There's somebody, a very smart, somebody much smarter than me a few years ago, a professor was talking, did a lecture here at RICS, and he was talking about how we're the only profession globally that make a, that make a study of our own errors. <laughs> you know, imagine if your bank statement came back to you each month saying, well, that's good to put in two standard deviations. <laughs> yeah. How we'd feel about that, and we do. We we obsess about errors and and finding errors and managing errors. We're we're good naturally at dealing with risk. It's just about expanding that into a different type of language that other professions understand. Right, and and I think that is the key, is is having that ability to communicate with the other people we're dealing with, so that we're we have a, a common language um, that we all are working with. And, and again, getting back to the international uh, measurement standards and the ethics, that's really what that's all about, too, is creating a common framework. So It is. And the, and the land one now that we're talking about with FIG and with the Russians and with you guys and the French and the Germans <coughs> and the Irish and the, and the Spanish, etc. Exactly Can you hear me, James? Oh, yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? I, I was breaking up. we, we got to go to break oh. anyway. We'll get this okay. fixed when we come back. Great. Attention surveyors, Seanstead announces the Maggie, the next generation magnetic locator. 
The Maggie combines the best features of two flagship Shonsted products, the sensitivity and precision of the GA52CX and the visual display and single-handed operation of the GA92XT. Contact your dealer for details or go to www.shonsted.com. Shonsted, the best just got better. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Want to know if your Seanstead locator is still under warranty? Go to Seanstead.com and click on Warranty Finder in the lower left-hand corner. Enter your six-digit serial number, and it will tell you everything you need to know. Out of warranty? Click on Repair Department. But here's a tip. Before sending it in, pick up a $25 discount by going to Specials and Sales under the Buy Now tab at www.schonstedt.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Before we were going to break, James, we were talking about risk management and liability issues and the way we perceive those. And in one of our off-air discussions, you were talking about uh, another kind of, of issue where we can have problems, and you were talking about instrumentation tests. <coughs> yes. Indeed, I didn't know whether that was a was a big issue in in the states, but certainly something that we're uh, finding is a big issue out there in in the UK, particularly in the in the urban areas. And uh, is that related to the the um, integrity of the equipment? Well, you know, I suppose that as Lancer has been out in the field, we've always seen that you know the odd tripod going missing or a target disappearing or. You know, a staff or whatever, but now now it's it's um, a much bigger kit. You know, when we're dealing with a laser scanner, we're talking about what thirty thousand dollars, forty thousand dollars, for instance, piece of kit, and uh, and and this is where we're seeing an increase in in, in almost kind of you know front up robbery. Uh, yes, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. The, one of the things, actually, there's sort of a national uh, awareness program that was started by one of our members down in Florida, because Florida is has been the most susceptible, it seems, to equipment theft over the last 10 or 12 years. I don't know if you guys experienced that or not, but certainly we're we're seeing it. No, we are, yeah, and particularly in the London areas or in the, in the like Birmingham, the major urban areas, not so much out in the countryside, but it's almost like, you know, uh, and we, we try, we've been in contact with the manufacturers about this as well because, you know, all, the, all these instruments are tagged, they're all got serial numbers when they go in for reconditioning or or uh, what you call a calibration, that should be logged. These things should pop up again. So it's almost like a, a particular type of kit, isn't it? Like a, a high-end laser scanner, for instance. And not exactly. even GPS kit has gone missing. It's, it's, it's mainly on the laser scanning, or even a couple of drones have gone missing. But I know you fellas over there have been shooting them down as well. So Yeah, and we have seen, and, and again, when I say we, this it's different places but certainly with all these reports we get from our from our person in, in florida oftentimes it is the gps equipment the the gps unit that's mm-hmm. just 
taken from the tripod, or they've even had a few taken at gunpoint on the job. Yes. And, uh, or breaking into someone's truck. I, I know there were some instances where people went back to the office to have lunch, and they left the truck sitting in the parking lot, and whoever was going to steal from them followed them back, and they came out after lunch, and it was gone. So there's all kinds of that stuff going on, for sure. Well, that's right, and it's quite suspicious in our minds. It's almost like it's it's kind of theft to order. Mm-hmm. Because really, a, ma- a normal member of the public, they wouldn't particularly know what a laser scanner is. Actually, many of our surveyors have had complaints from people when they've had one set up. They think it's a speed camera, you know, to monitor yes. traffic. <laughs> that's a major issue, actually, people coming up and abusing them about that. <laughs> really, this is uh, this is more, people must know what that is and where it's going to be, and what people are doing it. Because it, one thing we spoke about earlier is not only a capacity issue, but we we've seen a huge increase in work for our members. And actually, we've had many uh, American surveyors come to the UK to uh, to work here, particularly on engineering and infrastructure work. So we have a huge increase in survey work and a huge increase in the need for high accuracy engineering-grade survey, output three-dimensional models, kind of a topo survey, all back around this kind of insurance policy risk alleviation process. But it's when people are out there doing work, maybe they haven't tagged in properly or whatever, and, and, and yeah, and, and front-up test, either using weapons or otherwise. So it's something we've been work, trying to work with the uh, Air Trade Association, the Survey Association, and also the manufacturers, and also engaging with the police about as well. Yeah, and I know I don't know if, if this has taken place with with you guys, but as technology has changed, and and I'll use the 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 theodolite, the the GPS uh, theodolite, and what we call um, construction layout now, um, where people aren't hiring surveyors anymore to do it because they they have their own equipment, they have their own GPS, yeah, and so they're. They're not hiring surveyors. Sometimes they hire surveyors after the fact to come in and figure out how much liability they have for having done something wrong. Yes. Yeah. But that's been an issue for a lot of our practitioners where they think, you know, they've lost a lot lot of business because um, people were buying the equipment and using it themselves. Yeah, but... but, Not usually knowing what they're doing. I think, the, and the advent of of kind of backpack or TK driven GPS has only seen that increase. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's sure. Just, you know, put it on somebody and let them roam around the place. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get the right results. So you're right. A lot of our firms now are involved in the verification then of that kind of work. Have you seen any uh, instances? We've seen some of this. I don't know how. How widespread it is, but we we actually have in say rural areas where there isn't tons and tons of work to do necessarily. We're seeing people go into one person shops with their GPS unit, doing boundary surveys. I don't know if you've seen what, that. You, at all. Oh yeah, not not necessarily within the within the context of because uh, you know because of the mediation dispute resolution issues. So we fix boundaries during a dispute situation. But if it's on say a new development and people are looking to fix their boundaries in the context of their title, which they can do there, you know, uh, a registered kind of title, registered boundary, uh, determined boundary pro- process, as we call it here. Yeah, well, RTK GPS now is getting, to, is getting to levels of accuracy that are, you know, if not there or thereabouts, equivalent to a, a good total station. Mm-hmm. 
and particularly on a on a uh, on a relative accuracy basis, which is what we tend to be quite concerned about. Whether one end of the garden is, or, or fence, etc., it's it's accuracy in connection to features in its vicinity. It's it's actually very very accurate. But like a, a all good surveyors know that that's immediately uh, based. The, the accuracy is related to the GI, the projection, and then we have to transfer it back into National Grid, which brings yep. it back into <laughs> OS 1936, etc. So you're almost downgrading to fit the national mapping. Right, and and people hear me on the show talk about this all the time. It's you know for us it's about the accurate location, not necessarily the precise measurement mm. um, in terms of boundaries. Yeah. That's what you're trying to accomplish, obviously. So we we see um, a lot of that discussion going on. So in our last four or five minutes, what are you thinking looking down the road? People here are always concerned about what's the future of the profession going to be. In all your experiences looking internationally or even there in, in England, what what are you seeing? Well, I think actually I think we're on, the, we're on a bit of a cusp of a boom within in our profession. I think we've gone through a couple of decades where we've where we've we've had, if you want to call them growing pains or relationship issues with new technologies, seeing them as being a threat, but we're not like that. We didn't invent GPS or drones or laser scanning. We're almost like professional magpies. We'll kind of take this tech, we'll put it in our toolkit, and we'll use it. And I don't think we should fear any of these two technologies. GIS was the same. Now it's just become part of what we do on a normal basis. I think deregulation of the traditional... Uh, cadastral licensing systems across the world will increase, mainly because it's so expensive and, and so difficult to find people to be able to do it. And I think, like you said about one-stop shops, I think surveyors, land surveyors in particular, it's almost like a back-to-the-future thing we see it here. As we're going, we're all reverting back to what traditional land surveyors used to do 100 years ago, where we're involved in lots of different processes, not just the measurement, the technical issues. We're involved in planning, mediation, maybe a bit of land valuation, environmental issues. I know you guys there do a lot of the flood survey work as well. Right. So, you know, we need to we, we need to become more holistic and broaden our skill sets so rather more, than over-specialize. A more comprehensive yeah. uh, menu of services, so to speak, That's right. rather the than focusing uh, on some specialty. That's right. And also following the technology is always dangerous. So, you know, to, to jump into the laser scanning, yeah, use it, but just as a, as, a, as a part of your normal kit rather than over-concentrating on one area. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. So what's the objectives of RICS moving forward? I know you've been around a really long time, so maybe you have your path all figured out. <laughs> well, yeah, well, RICS has been around a very long time, you know, 1868, etc. I think what we're doing at the moment is, is, is working with other bodies, and there's a spirit of collaboration. We've realized that, you know, that working together with other bodies like NSPS and other professionals around the world colleagues in Africa, re-establishing relationships that maybe we've forgotten over the last few decades is, uh, is really important to us because this is, is, this is truly a, a, a global profession. So, you know, on that rising tide to bring everybody up is the, uh, is the, is the what you call it, is the, is the objective rather than just one grouping. We're all part of the same profession at the end of the day. We may be members of different bodies, but like deep down, we're only just land surveyors. That's true, and, and I think that whole unity of, of collaboration and unity of purpose is important for us, partially because we are a small profession, and yeah. so we want to continue to 
perpetuate that profession because it is so important and to the world and not let it be undermined, so to speak, simply because there's cool toys to play with now that anybody can pick up. That's right, and I think that kind of that, that, that globalization, that collaborative nature, that working across boundaries and borders, that, that's, that's important for young people to know that. You know, that they can see that, see that career path could lead them in multiple different directions. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the things you hear all the time from young people. You're telling me that I'm going to go to school this long and take this many examinations and my area of practice is going to be limited to this? <laughs> exactly. You hear that a lot. If you can if you can show them that this is a broad world, the adventure is still to be had out there. There's one of our survey companies working on Antarctica at the moment. We've had... You know, we have people in the Middle East. There's the offshore industry, the hydrographic oil and gas industry. Then there's the, the commercial industries. But there's many different areas that you can end up working in. So in the developing world, obviously, there's going to be opportunities for people if they're willing to, to reach out and take them, I'm sure. Oh, God, yeah, an enormous amount, particularly around the, you know, and you look at these new new, new organizations or, or, or bodies that are transforming, you know. Like when we went out looking for people who wanted to be involved in the, in the land coalition, for instance, you know, the first groups to get in touch with people like KPMG and PwC and Ernst & Young and, you know, and Altus and these huge kind of multidisciplinary organizations. And they're in, so rather than have a separate survey unit, you're, you're ending up with the severe integrated into other areas. Absolutely. And that's great well, we because are, then you can get those skill sets off them. Absolutely. Well, believe it or not, we are one minute away from having fulfilled our hour for the day. It's always it goes really, really fast for me. I'm not so mm. sure it goes fast for the guest every week, but it always goes really fast for me. So I, I do very much appreciate you joining me today and taking the time out of out of your busy day, and no, well, no, maybe, great. We'll maybe, that, maybe that you're in the office. Maybe you were just relaxing with your feet up on the desk today. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, but you know, it's like I have a butler here beside me. Yeah. <laughs> I love him, Mike. Well, you did just come back from Dublin, you know. So <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> maybe you were carrying a little extra in your kit on the on the way home. But, uh, but it's been it's great. Real always, always great talking with you, and I'm really looking forward to uh, better and stronger collaboration in our organization. I think it's so important for all of us. Absolutely brilliant. Thanks a lot, Kurt. It's been a pleasure. Well, I hope you can join me again sometime, and uh, any time a topic comes up, let me know. We'll be glad to talk about it. Will do. Thanks a lot, James. Okay, bye. Take care. Have a great day. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.